Good morning. Whoa. Sorry. Are we better? There we go. <clears throat> so this morning we're going to look at First uh, uh, Samuel chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath. Um, one of the things I love, love about the Word of God is that at different times in your life you'll come to Scripture, and God's truth remains consistent always, uh, but we see different aspects of it and, and are uh, blessed by it in different ways. And um, this is a passage I've spent a lot of time with over the years and beginning to see it somewhat differently and seeing that this passage has a lot to do with, with vision, uh, with the ability to see uh, the world and circumstances clearly. And so I was, I was thinking about the different things that can impede us from seeing things clearly, and I was kind of thinking back on my life. Um, and, and one of the times that, that I failed to see life clearly, uh, the first thing that kind of came to mind was when I was, I was probably 13, and uh, our neighbors directly behind us uh, had a, uh, a big white Samoyed. You guys familiar with Samoyeds? A big white, like imagine a big, fluffy, white creature. Um, massive dog, uh, Angel was its name. And we decided that it would be a really great thing to feed Angel uh, like a 24-ounce can, can of Hormel chili. Um, and Angel loved the chili. Um, I didn't have foresight to see what would happen after Angel had consumed the 24 ounce of chili. So um, the inability to see clearly is oftentimes tied to uh, youth. Um, it can also be external circumstances. Um, our refrigerator right now, if you open our refrigerator, they have like the LED lights on the inside. And um, I've found out because I've done research this year of our refrigerator, apparently there's a problem with the, the electronic boards on these, on these refrigerators. So you open our refrigerator and freezer, and it looks like a rave in our refrigerator, like for real. Um, and so you open it, and, and it's hard to focus even. And it reminds me of like the Japanese anime that was happening quite a while back where kids were looking at TV screens and having seizures. So I, I'm literally afraid every time I open the refrigerator that I'm going to have a seizure. Um, but that's an external thing, and it's impeding my ability to see clearly. Um, but there are also things that, that help us to see clearly, and one thing in particular, and um, as we look at David in this passage, um, he, has, he has an ability to see clearly, and it's amazing because he's the only one in this entire text who's able to see clearly. So before we jump in, really quick background here, uh, with the downfall of the Hittite and the Mycenaean empires uh, toward around 1300 BC, uh, a huge number of people from the Aegeans began to flee their land, um, and one of those groups was the Philistines. Uh, they landed on the coast of Canaan. They came in, they intermarried with Canaanites. Um, they adopted Canaanite culture and religions, uh, and they established five major Canaanite cities, uh, Ashdod, Ashkelon, uh, Ekron, Gath, and Gaza. And you'll see most of those in Scripture in different contexts. Um, they had all been former Canaanite cities. Uh, but they came in, and they were, they were apt military organizers. Um, they began to push out and conquer lands and conquer cities, and that's when they come up against the Israelites. They proved to be a challenge for the Israelites for years, as we see in Scripture, uh, but not as much of a challenge was the outside Philistines as what was happening with their own people, what was happening within Israel. Uh, they were no longer content that God had raised up leaders for them. Instead, they wanted a human king. They wanted a king like their surrounding neighbors had. 
And as much as Samuel warned against it, God eventually uh, relented and raised up Saul to be their first king. And Saul, he ruled well at times, but Saul had a fatal flaw. Um, He feared his own people and their displeasure more than he feared God's word. So when we come to our story, uh, because of his fear of his own people um, and his disobedience, God has removed the kingship from Saul, has anointed David. And David's not yet become king, but he's going to become king. And so we have in 1 Samuel 17 the story of David and Goliath. Uh, Now the Philistines have been gathering their armies uh, in Judah Saul, the men of Israel, were gathered in the valley of Elah. They would draw up in uh, battle array to fight, uh, but it wasn't a typical battle. The Philistines were on one side of the mountain. The Israelites were on the other side. And the Philistines continued to send down their champion, to send down Goliath, this great warrior. Bronze helmet, scale armor, bronze greaves on his shins, a bronze javelin on his back, a massive spear. Before him walked his shield carrier, And this is what he said to the Israelites. He'd come out to the line to do battle, and he would say this, I am a Philistine and you are servants of Saul. Choose a man to come down and fight me. If he kills me, we will become your servants. If I kill him, you will become our servants. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. When Saul and Israel heard these words, they were dismayed and afraid. So for 40 days, Goliath issues this challenge until one day, David has come to the battle lines, the youngest son of Jesse. His brothers are there in Saul's service. Um, He's been anointed by Samuel to become king, and he's sent now by his father to check on his brothers and to bring back news of what's taking place there. So David gets to the camp as the army is going out to literally stand and watch Goliath come down. Uh, They draw up against the Philistines, and Scripture says that David runs to the lines, and here's what he encounters. He finds his brothers, And as they're talking, Goliath comes out of the Philistine camp and defies the Israelite army again. The men are afraid, and they tell David that uh, that if someone kills Goliath, Saul will make him rich and give his daughter in marriage. And then David asks the question, who is this Philistine that he should taunt the Lord's armies? Who is this man that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Well, with that question, word gets back to Saul, and Saul calls David to him. And David says this to Saul. He says, let no man's heart fail on account of him, on account of Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And David assessed it perfectly. Their hearts had failed. They believed that they would lose. They believed that they fought alone. And David sees it clearly, right? They think if any of us were to go out and fight, there's no chance we have of winning. So we're just going to draw up against the battle line, and here he comes day after day. But David asks the pertinent question, who is this man to taunt God's armies? David uh, was able to see the actual taunt. He was able to see the situation clearly. Uh, Don't let their hearts fail because of him. I will go. And the question is, what made David different? What did David see that they didn't? I mean, it's, a, it's a great story. We all, we all know this story, I think, most of us. Um, but what's different about David? They're all Israelites, right? So they all know the history of Israel. They all know the stories of their God. 
They all know about the Ark of the Covenant. What is different about David? Why is he the only one who's willing to say, I'll go? What did he see? Saul said to David, you're not able to go against the Philistines to fight with him. But for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. You're just a boy. He's been a warrior since he was a boy. You will lose. And from outside, it looks absolutely true, right? Saul sees Goliath, and he sees David, and he makes a very logistical conclusion, right? If you go out to do battle, he will crush you. But even Saul the king is unable to see the actual battle that is before them. With David's response, he proves to be the only person who sees the situation clearly. And then David says this. He says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. The Lord delivered me before, he will deliver me now. And the situation is abundantly clear to David. The Philistine is taunting the Lord and taunting his armies. It's not just that Goliath is, is, is uttering challenges to the army. Goliath is actually challenging the living God. By my God and by my strength, I will defeat you and defeat your God. But David, he knows and he has seen God's faithfulness in his past, and it's allowed him to assess the situation clearly. And that's part of what it means when Scripture talks about being a man after God's own heart the ability to see and understand who God is, and the ability to understand who he is in relation to his God. And then we have this kind of beautiful uh, irony where the king says, go and may the Lord be with you, God's blessing to the one who will, who will replace him. Um, but just as he sees the situation clearly, it, it doesn't mean that the situation is over. He still has to act. He has to actually do something, right? David says, who is this Philistine that he should taunt God and his armies? I'll go out and fight him. But now he actually has to go out and fight him. What is beautiful is that David does not let anyone else's narrative inform his identity or inform what he's capable of doing. I mean, look, Saul says, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're but a youth while he's been a warrior from his youth. His, his narrative is you can't do it. You can't win. Here's what Goliath is and here's what you are. But David doesn't let any narrative, the kings, his brothers, or the other soldiers inform who he actually is. And that is something that, that is standing out to me lately as being so important. We cannot let our identity be shaped by the narratives that we find around us. We can't let our identity or our ability be shaped by the narratives that other people tell us or by what the world offers us. We have to let our identity be shaped by who God is and who we are in relation to God. We need to be speaking biblical truth about this all of the time. Um, there are so many narratives that you guys, that I, that my children hear every single day about identity. I was talking to a um, student uh, day before yesterday, and we were talking about the context of marriage, and she was saying that 
um, a number of her friends, this has been their experience, a number of her friends have been told from the time they were young that, um, that being pure was uh, not just valuable, but there was identity tied into being pure. And what that meant was don't have sex before marriage, right? So she has had a number of friends who, who virginity became tied into their personal value as a human being. So when they got married and they consummated their marriage, afterwards they felt like less of a person. They felt ashamed and they felt devalued because that thing, that narrative that they had heard their whole lives was now blown apart. My identity and my values tied to my virginity and I don't have that anymore. What am I? And that's not biblical. That's not the narrative of God's word. God says, you are my child. I love you and I've created you. Your value is not tied to your virginity. Your value is not tied to narratives that other people lasso onto you. Your value and your identity are tied only to me. And we need to hear that over and over and over because there are other narratives coming at us over and over and over. And praise God that David didn't allow his identity, his ability, his value to be tied to what Saul said, what his brothers said, what his dad said, what the other soldiers said, and not to what Goliath said. His identity was found in the living God. Well, then Saul clothed David with his garments, put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor, tried to walk, for he'd not tested these things. And then he says to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. And in a practical yet really beautiful symbolic act, Saul clothes David in the king's armor. The king that will soon lose the throne is placing his armor on the man that God has chosen to succeed him on the throne. <clears throat> so he takes off the armor, he takes a stick in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from a brook. He put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. And imagine what this looked like, right? So you've got the two armies, and then you've got the battlefield there in the middle, and David comes and approaches. He gathers up some rocks, puts them down. He has his sling, and we'll talk about a sling in a sec. But then here comes Goliath. And in one sense, it may seem like a, like a, a really exciting thing. Israel finally has its champion, right? Israel now has someone who's going to go out and stand against Goliath. But when the Israelites saw David, do you think there was really much excitement? He doesn't have armor on. He has no sword. He has no spear. He apparently has no shield. And he's going to go and stand against the champion of the Philistines. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy, handsome with appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts 
of the field. And we see here, Goliath is unable to see. He doesn't know that the battle is between gods. He's offended that David would approach him, doesn't realize what's really happening. And we have everyone here, except for David, unable to see what's really going on. Every person involved, the people on David's side and the people standing and fighting against David. And I think that that is often the case. Um, It's often the case, even people who are most closely associated and involved in issues can miss the true nature of issues, right? It's not just the people who are standing back and don't know the ins and outs. It's oftentimes the people who are most intimately connected and involved in issues and circumstances and situations that are unable to see the true nature of the circumstance, of the situation. I think about, think about abortion, right? Abortion, for people who are, are, are pro-abortion, they're so intimately connected to this issue but it's an issue about a woman's right. It's an issue about a body. And they are unable to see that it's in reality an issue about the God who creates and gives life. It's an affront to the creator of life and to the value of life. My daughters are 17 and, and 13 and to watch them try to understand abortion, how someone could kill a baby is, is really remarkable. Trying to somehow understand how another person could honestly believe that it could ever be okay. It's, it's a fascinating thing. But when we're in the midst of things, we oftentimes are, are unable to see the reality of what's going on. It's not just people who stand against the things of God. It's oftentimes those of us who care deeply for the things of God, those who stand on the same side as God. We can miss seeing situations around us clearly. Um, I, mentioned, uh, I mentioned contract last week, last time I spoke, and it's interesting. I've, I've had a number of conversations with you guys about contract. Well, not all of you, but a couple of you at least have, have talked to me about, about contract since then. And it's very interesting to me um, how you view contract. And it, it seems that there are a number of, of students who view contract as, as a thing between me and covenant. That it, it's, almost, it's almost this, right? That it's me and covenant. But, but it's not, guys. Like, it's not about you and covenant. When you sign a contract with your name, that's between you and God. Because covenant's not going to like hunt you down if you break contract or like, you know, search your social media to see if they can find you with a beer in your... That's not happening. But when you put your name on something saying you will or will not do something, guys, that's between you and God. Same way in a marriage. You sign a marriage contract. You make vows. You're not going to have people hunting you down. You're making a covenant between you and God. Covenant between two people and God. 
So it's not just those who stand against the living God who can't see clearly. Sometimes it's those of us pretty intimately connected and um, standing on the side of God. Well, even though he can't see it, it's ironic that Goliath actually names the true battle as he curses David by his own gods. And all along, this has been a battle about gods. It's been the God of Israel, the living God, the true God, over against the false God of the Philistines. Um, if you look back, if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 5, we see um, this is already being foreshadowed. Everything that's going to play out here is being foreshadowed by what happened when the ark of the living God was placed into the temple of Dagon. When the Philistines captured the ark, they took it and put it in their temple, and they put it before their god, their statue of Dagon. It was to be subservient to Dagon, but what happens? They come out the first night, and Dagon is on his face, a statue fallen down before the ark of the living God. Then they raise him back up, and the next time when he falls down, his hands are cut off and his head is cut off as well. It's not about a giant and a shepherd. It's about the God of the Philistines and the God of the universe. Then David said to the Philistine, You come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have taunted. This day, this day here's what's actually going to happen. You're not going to slay me and deliver my flesh to the birds and to the dogs. The Lord is going to deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. And here's why. Not so that you can be our slaves, but so that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. You may not see the battle clearly, but I do. I do see the battle clearly. I see what's actually happening before us. You come armed and confident that you can defeat me, and you will credit your gods for the defeat. But the reality is, you see only you against me. You see a warrior against a boy. But I come in God's name. And challenging me, you challenge him, and he will deliver you into my hands. I'll defeat you, your head will be removed, and all so that the earth may know, everyone, that the living God is the God of Israel. And so, then it plays out. Here's what happens. Uh, the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. All right, so quick word on, on slings. Um, a, a sling I, probably doesn't sound like a, a, a powerful weapon. It's a powerful weapon. So what they would do is they would attach a piece of leather either to their wrist or to one of their fingers, and then they would have another piece. of It would be a long piece with a little uh, pouch-type thing, and then another piece on the end. And you'd put a rock in there, and those rocks could vary anywhere from the size of, of a golf ball to the size of a baseball, maybe even a softball. They're heavy, and you begin to whip those things around and sling them. And then when you get going full speed, you let go of the one piece, the sling opens up, and the rock takes off. 
There were some cultures where the kids, little kids, were trained. They could be so accurate with these things, they could take rocks off of people's heads. So David takes this stone, and he begins to sling it. And for any baseball players, you're up in the 90s, 90s to 110 that these rocks are coming, right? So if you've ever taken a baseball at like 70 miles an hour to your back, imagine a stone coming at 1, 110. That's what we're talking about, right? So scripture says, at least our, our translations say this, that it sank into his forehead and he fell face to the ground. And this is a really, this is really fascinating and pretty interesting. And this, I don't mean to blow apart like years of Sunday school. Um, but but there, there are some questions about this, right? And a number of people have asked these questions throughout the years because Scripture says in just a minute that, in verse 51 actually, that how, how is Goliath killed? Goliath is killed with his own sword. You take a stone to the forehead and it sinks in and you fall. Um, death is, is likely to come. But then there's also another interesting piece. Goliath comes and... If, if you hit me in the head with a stone at 100 miles an hour, which way am I going to fall? For real. Like, Jonathan, hey, let's just do this. If you came up on stage and just punched me in the head, which way am I going to fall forward or backwards? backwards. Yeah, I'm going backwards, right? So the, the question um, was, so wait, is this, is this just sort of a, a um, uh, not an arbitrary, is this a manipulation? Is this a, a false story so it sounds good that he falls face down before David? Well, no. And here's, I think, actually a picture of what you have. There was this British rabbi named uh, Jonathan Maginet. And Maginet uh, had done a lot of research on this. And here's the conclusion that he came to. And um, people that I know actually uh, think this is, is probably most likely. There are two Hebrew words that are translated almost exactly the same. It's forehead and greaves, shin bone. The greaves are the things that go over your shins to protect your legs in battle. Sometimes they're leather, sometimes they're bronze. Um, if you were to take a stone into your greaves and it blew apart your shin, boom, you come this way. And I think that's what we have happening here. Um, if you look at those, those words, they're the exact same words. But I don't think it's forehead. I think it's shin, and here's why. He slings that stone, and it blows Goliath's leg to pieces. It sinks into the greaves, it blows his shin apart, and Goliath falls before David. And here he is, the representative of the Canaanite god, a false god, prostrate before David, the representative of the living God. And then listen to what he does. He falls forward, abject defeat, before, before David and before Yahweh. But then, da oh, oh, this is good, verse 50. Uh, David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him, but there was no sword in David's hand. This is a summary statement. This, this is a picture, big picture of what happened. David didn't come with a sword. Instead, he came in the name of the Lord, and thus the victory was by the hand of God, not by a sword in his hand. Then we're filled in on the details of how it unfolded. David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out of his sheath, and killed him 
and cut off his head with it. So there he lies, and, and in ancient battle, it, it was the greatest sense of abject defeat to be crushed by your own weapon, to be defeated by your own weapon added insult to injury. And so there he is laying on the ground, and David approaches him. He runs to him. He takes his sword. I don't know if he stood on him, but it sounds kind of good. Um, doesn't that sound good, like putting your foot on him? But anyway, um, in the past, I've, I've, I tend to make sound effects, so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say he took the sword and killed Goliath, although it would make a cool sound. Um, and then he cuts off his head. The representative of the false god Dagon has fallen before the representative of the living God of Israel. David stands victorious. And the head cutting off is not, it's not gruesome in the sense of doing it just to be um, nasty and mean, but it was a sign of utter and abject victory. It's why when the, when the statue of Dagon fell before the Ark of the Living God, the head was removed. It was a sign of abject military defeat. In the same way there was no question as to who had caused Dagon to fall in the temple, there's no question about who slew Goliath. David, but only by the hand of the living God. Yahweh was the victorious king. And upon seeing it, the Philistines flee, and the Israelites follow and plunder their camps. So there we go, David and Goliath. But now we go back to our original question. What is it about David? What allowed him to see? What allowed him to see something that Saul couldn't see, that the other Israelite soldiers couldn't see? Why was he the only one who would go out and do battle with Goliath? And I'm afraid the answer is just really, really simple. He had faith. He lived in faith. He walked in faith. And I say really simple, but we know that's not simple, right? Why was he able to see the situation clearly? Because he had faith in his God. He had seen God's faithfulness. He knew who he was in relation to God's faithfulness. And he could see the situation and say, oh, this isn't about me, David, a boy. This is about this man taunting our God. And I'll be, I'll be the tool that God uses because it's not about me. It's about our God. And for us, the ability to see, hear this, is wholly dependent upon seeing everything in this world and in our lives through the lens of Jesus Christ and our identity in him. Now, that's not theoretical. It's not esoteric. It's having faith in the faithfulness of the foreshadowed one. Every issue, every circumstance, all of our identity, the only way we will be able to see clearly is if we see through the lens who Christ is, what he has done for us, and who we are in relation to him. David, right? The anointed one of God. He's going to be king. 
He's victorious over his challenger, the one who stood against the living God, defeated him with his own weapon. Why? So that all the earth would know that there's a God in Israel. But guys, that foreshadows Jesus perfectly, beautifully. The anointed one of God who was victorious over his challenger who stood against the living God and he defeated him with his own weapon. Defeated him at the cross. Why? So that all of the earth may know not just that there is a God in Israel, but so all of the earth may know that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. That he came because he loved us. He died for us, taking the curse and the punishment that we deserve freely and rightly and wholly upon himself. He died He rose from the dead, conquering sin and death that we might not just know, but that we might actually live, that we might actually have life. Guys, if our identity is based in anything other than that truth, we're not living. We don't actually have life. We can exist in the same way that we can see not clearly. Our identity has to be found here. It has to be found in the gospel. If it's not, we're not living. We're not having the life that God came to give us. We see because of faith. We see with faith. We follow because of grace. We're obedient because of grace. We respond because of grace. We love because of grace. Guys, please, be pondering, be praying about who you are. Who you are. Because I'll tell you who you are. It can just sometimes take a while for us to believe it. You're a son, a daughter of the living God. You're loved by Jesus. And your value is found in no place other than in him and his gospel. That's who you are. That's who we are. We need to hold on to that so that we can live. Let's pray. Father, we pray that your spirit would be with us. Uh, We hear so many narratives in this world. May the narrative that we hear most deeply and most profoundly be yours. Um, Father, thank you for uh, the cross. Thank you for your defeat of sin and death. Um, with the very weapon that Satan intended uh, to seal our deaths. Um, Help us to know you, Lord. Um, Conform us to be like you. And Father, please let us um, be protected uh, from the lies of the world. May our identity be locked soundly and wholly in who you are and who we are in relation to you. We pray these things, Lord, in the powerful and the only name of Jesus. Amen. Blessings. Go in peace.